mom and the dad are sending Isaac. I'm sorry. The mom Jacob. and the dad are sending Jacob. Oh. <laughs> and daddy. I had all these names worked out before. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three. And we are live, live. everybody. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess we should be a little more pumped up because our intro videos kind of like where we are like a little more chill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We would just woke up. That's right. That's right. Everybody, we are in Genesis twenty eight. And this is a jam packed episode today. Jam packed. Super crazy, packed, full of information. Get ready to get your learning head on because, and buckle in. Go ahead and buckle in because we got a lot to learn today. Strap in. That's right. Strap in, buckle in. Whatever device you use this may remain safe in your house, use that right now. The We are on 28, and we just got done with 27. Chapter 28, verse 1, so Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, saying to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become a multitude of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you so that you may possess the land where you live as a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. A lot going on there. So real quick to sum up um, just these five verses. Something I found interesting is that Isaac was also upset about Jacob's deception, but we don't see him confront Jacob at all about the deception here. We actually see a, a follow-up blessing to the blessing he already gave him. Um, and so that is interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I, I believe about that is I believe that Isaac could have potentially seen or already known about the prophecy that God gave Rebecca. And so with that, he could have decided, hey, uh, like God's sovereignty, you know, I was acting against God's sovereignty. And so I need to get on board here. And so that, that could be one of the reasons. Yes. And so one of the things with that, Scholars diff disagree about authorship and the, 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 the Pentateuch. So the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. <clears throat> and scholars disagree about authorship. Um, and so it's relevant to talk about here because this is one section where um, one supposed author hands it off to another author. And one of the arguments that this is based on is the stark contrast in that this one author um, wrote, you know, this uh, conflict and the family between Isaac and Jacob. This next author is writing about Isaac blessing Jacob. <laughs> and so um, this line actually, they supposedly breaks in 2745, um, between 2740 verse 45 and 27 verse 46. And so uh, there is a theory out there. Um, this theory is called the JEDP theory or the doc or document hypothesis. And so <clears throat> the idea is that this is broken down. So J being the uh, Yahwehist, um, E being the Elohist, D being the Deuteronomist, and P being the priestly. So the, the Yahwehist is, is Yahwehist and Elohist are from the names of God, Yahweh and Elohim. And the Deuteronomist is meaning that 
the author of Deuteronomy. And then the priestly is for the priestly documents, the religious law that were written about um, in sections of like Leviticus, Numbers, uh, areas of Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, not Deuteronomy, um, Leviticus, Numbers, and then sections of Exodus. So, and so <clears throat> there's, there's this view that exists out there. And um, this contradicts what the Bible says and even biblical tradition uh, among early church Christians and among Jewish history that Moses uh, is the author of this. <clears throat> and so one of the things that they say is, hey, look, um, the, the reason for the JEDP is because they say different authors give God different names. Um, they refer to God in, in different names. And so that means it's a different author or like we just saw here, hey, this author wrote about the, the good relationship of Jacob and Isaac. This other author wrote about the, the bad side of it. Um, and so, and also there's this idea that they say, look, there are all these different literary genres inside the, the, the Pentateuch, which once again is the first five books of the Bible. And so, you know, you have narrative literature, historical literature, or historical reporting, you have uh, theological teachings. Like these are just all different authors. Um, and another reason is because they have repeated accounts. So like there are times later on in the, Deuter in, uh, the Pentateuch when Moses repeats some, some things to his audience. So like, for example, Deuteronomy is a, is a lot of summary of, of the Pentateuch as a whole and just kind of what they've learned. Um, and so liberal scholars see this as, oh, this is a different author because the other author already said this. And so, but this, this view, um, this JDP theory and, and this liberal scholarship specifically addressing this area of the Pentateuch did not even come about till 1750. Um, so once again, church, throughout church history, throughout uh, uh, Jewish history, this, none of this was contested. Um, so it's only recently, I mean, you know, relatively recently, but it's gained a lot of momentum. There are a lot of, there are a number of churches and seminaries that teach this view as the correct interpretation or as a fact. Um, and so they believe that the original stories that are recorded here were passed down orally and were not written down uh, till later. And so these stories were more like evolving stories of, of folklore and myth. And so they weren't really based on facts. Um, and so another argument is they just say, look, this, this doesn't match up with the other literary works of the, of the day, uh, of Moses' time period. Um, and so obviously the, this contradicts the idea that the truth, that um, the Bible is entirely true, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And so <clears throat> there are archaeological discoveries that line up with, with the biblical text. To address some of the things that were said, obviously we know that authors can have different, can address different genres and, and it may be write things and using different literary styles. Um, also, I, I do believe that uh, it's very possible that the events in Genesis might've been passed down to Moses some way orally uh, that, that, that's fine. Either way, the Holy Spirit guided um, whatever Moses learned, however he learned it, uh, for the record that Moses gave in the book of Genesis. But other than that, Moses was pretty much an eyewitness because uh, when the book of Exodus opens, that could have all been an account that Moses' mother probably gave him directly because Moses' mother is involved in that story. And so... <clears throat> And then you have the whole rest of the story, pretty much. Moses was a firsthand witness and participant, um, and all except the very end of Deuteronomy, which scholars believe maybe uh, Joshua kind of wrote that right at, at the end when, when Moses died. And so anyway, the correct view is that Moses wrote all this down um, around 1446 uh, B.C., and so to, to kind of support this idea, in three different books of the Pentateuch, Moses claims to be the author. So Exodus 7, 14, Exodus 24, 4, Exodus 34, 27. Then we got Numbers 33, verses 1 through 2, Deuteronomy 31, 9. 
Also, other places in the Old Testament claim that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. I'm not going to list all the verses here because there are a lot of them. But so Joshua, moving on right after uh, Deuteronomy closes, we have Joshua. So Joshua 1.7, Joshua 8.32, 8.34, Joshua 22.5. Then we go on to Judges, Judges 3.4. In prophetic literature, Daniel 9.11. Uh, in verse 13, then we go into Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, they, they have they reference Moses, the author, Malachi, the very last book of the Bible, multiple times, countless times in first and second Kings and first second Chronicles view uh, reference Moses um, in, in the, the writings of him. And the early prophets refer to the Mosaic law. So the early prophets, meaning that the schol- the liberal scholars say that the the, the Pentateuch did not come into full completion until the time of around Ezra and Nehemiah, which would have been 5th century BC, but the early prophets, which came before the exile. So Ezra and Nehemiah are, are after the return of exile. So after the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, early prophets pre-exile make references to the Mosaic law and how it's an established covenant in Israel. And so that would have, that would mean that the Pentateuch would have already had to have been written in order for that to be true. So obviously multiple places in the New Testament address Moses as being the author of the Pentateuch, most notably Jesus. Uh, Jesus, just two references, Mark 10, 5, and then Mark 12, 19. Um, Jesus references Moses as the author of the Pentateuch. Um, And when we look into it, Moses would have been a qualified or was a qualified person to write the Pentateuch because he had an extensive extensive education as growing up in Pharaoh's palace there in Egypt. There is a uh, well-known archaeologist, William F. Albright. Uh, he's the most prominent archaeologist of our time who, who does work in that part of the world. And uh, he has a book, um, The Archaeology of Palestine. And in page 224 of his book, Uh, He says this, and I quote, archaeological and inscriptural data have established the historicity of innumerable passages and statements of the Old Testament. The contents of our Pentateuch are in general very much older than the date in which they were finally edited. New discoveries continue to confirm the historical accuracy of the literacy, literary antiquity of detail after detail in it. So, like I, I mentioned before, this just brings us to the topic of liberal theology. And liberal theology is the view that the Bible is not completely true and that God has not completely preserved his word. Uh, a lot of people see it as the idea that the Bible has, a, has some morally good teachings, but some of those morals can, can become outdated as society progresses. And that history and the history contained in the Bible is not consistently accurate. And that some, some people just see it as like fables with good principles um, and so that's not what the Bible says about itself. <clears throat> so Second Timothy uh, talk, claims that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And when we look at this, just going now to the, the New Testament, we have uh, over 5,700 New Testament Greek manuscript copies of different books um, that we can go back, that these are, these are copies from, from old manuscripts we can verify and cross-reference, right? We don't have one copy that we're hoping is true. We have multiple copies that we're cross-referencing. And, and that's the New Testament. When we, when we go back and we look at the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, these are Old Testament manuscripts that were discovered in the 1940s. <clears throat> and they were discovered in the, the, the Qumran Caves in the, in the Judean Desert. Um, and they date back to around 400 BC. Um, and when we look at them, when they were discovered in the 1940s, they matched up with what the translations we already had of the Old Testament, proving that God has preserved his word. Um, you know, we continue to find manuscripts and things like that uh, that have proved that the Bible has consistently uh, stayed the same throughout history. So the books that we have in our Bible um, is the next question, and and those were established in the early church by a council that met in 393 AD in North Africa, Uh, and what they did is they evaluated which books of scripture the church had already validated, Um, and so 
there's this idea uh, among some that there's this political conspiracy about what books of the Bible um, some ruler somewhere decided what to include and not to include, and that's just not accurate. There was this council who no authoritarian said, here's what we're going to include. The council was just meant to meet and say, hey, what books of the church is already saying these are gospel, these are inspired uh, works? You know, what are they? And so they got together and they, they found out. And so what it was is it was uh, the Bible is 66 books, which were written over a span of 1500 years with more than 40 different authors, but all with a consistent theological message that a holy God created all existence and that people have sinned against God, but that God has provided salvation for humanity. So every book of the Bible points to that. Um, different books of the Bible unpack that or give a detailed explanation of different areas of that, right? Some, uh, you know, in reference to the sin and the fallen nature, others in reference to the person and work of Jesus Christ as far as salvation. So I just want all this to say that I know that I have salvation because I've put my faith in, in the Jesus of the Bible, who is God and has preserved his word in order to communicate the message of redemption to a dying world. If you don't believe the Bible is the true inspired word of God, I don't see how you can have a logically consistent claim to be a follower of Jesus. I'm done with my rant. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And the reason why you bring up this attack, these attacks against the reliability of the Bible and who its authorship was, is because between around chapter 27 and 28 of Genesis, there's people who claim this is a moment in which there was a change, a potentially a change in authorship. And you just listed a mountain of evidence as to why this is not the case. And so there's a ton of research, a lot of resources that you can go to to look more into this. I mean, a lot of people attack the, the Bible um, <clears throat> from this perspective. I've done all this research myself before. I know Justin clearly has done it. He just brought all this up. If you want to do more research, just type in reliability of the Bible on YouTube. You can find out how reliable or unreliable you may or may not think it is. There's debates on this. Um, I personally really like a guy who used to be a cold case detective. And his uh, YouTube channel is actually called uh, Cold Case Christianity. And um, he really digs into... Uh, why he believes the accounts of the Bible are uh, specifically accurate with a focus on the, the, um, what Jesus did in the New Testament. Plus cross-examine is another one as well that you can go to. Alrighty then, we got verse 6 to bring everyone back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to bring everyone yeah, back, if you recall what we were talking about. Yeah, Jacob we're still in the book of Genesis. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We're still reading Genesis. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're past Adam and Eve, if you forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That was at the beginning. Yep. <laughs> no, um, basically Abraham's sending his son off at this point, sending his son Jacob off Isaac. to... Isaac is sending Jacob. I'm sorry. Isaac. <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> that right Isaac now. Cat. Isaac... <laughs> is sending his son Jacob off <laughs> to the brother of Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. To go meet a honey. Right. I feel like we need to clear up all the names here. We got Isaac, who's the father. Who's the, who's, who's the daddy? He's the pappy. He's the pappers. Then we have... <laughs> then, we, then we have Rebecca, who's the mommy. Is the mommy. Then we have two yeah. sons, Jacob and Esau. The mom and the dad are sending Isaac. I'm sorry. The mom Jacob. and the dad are sending Jacob. Off. <laughs> mommy and daddy. I had all these names worked out before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you don't know these names, if you don't know who the players are, I feel like we need an org chart online yeah. or whatever. 
org chart. Jacob Esau, Jacob Esau, Jacob Esau. Just keep saying that over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And then you know that Isaac, Rebecca, Isaac, Rebecca, Isaac, Rebecca. Isaac is sending Jacob off to the brother of Rebecca. To find a honey. To find a lady. A lady friend. That's right. So, verse 6. I'm going to read this section too. Justin needs to kind of okay, yeah. breathe in some oxygen here. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take to himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael and married besides the wives that he had had. Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. This is a very interesting section, uh, Justin. What do you have to say about this? Yeah, so, you know, Esau saw that um, Jacob was doing things the right way, and at least to reference to who he married, who he was looking to marry. And he saw that this pleased his parents. And so it appears that he's trying to please his father and gain favor with him by going and marrying a woman that he sees, hey, this woman's in the line of Abraham, right? But he just still doesn't get it. Well, like, no, this woman is in the line of Ishmael. And so that's not the blessed line. So Esau, I don't think he has any kind of understanding, uh, any kind of spiritual discernment of this 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 covenant blessed line or, or anything like that. He's just kind of just going about and doing stuff. Um, and then also uh, Padan Aram, it is in northwestern uh, Mesopotamia, modern nor northwestern Mesopotamia. So um, just to kind of give context of, of geographic location. Absolutely. And just to add on to what you just said, Esau taking a wife from the family line of Ishmael. is definitely not helping anything it's not that's not something that you're going you're like going to go please your parents because you you know and and specifically um i mean it just shows it just shows esau's ignorance you know so and his true motives which is really just to please his uh to gain favor with his parents um which to me kind of highlights you know, is it is it something that he's doing to please his parents, or is he really doing this for himself, right, to gain favor with his parents? I would say Trying those to gain are two... favor and get another blessing. Yeah, get I mean, that he's... blessing back. Yeah, because the blessing he recognizes is through the line of Abraham, but it's going through Isaac. People, it's going through Isaac. It's already been redirected. It's already been rerouted. <laughs> you and missed then, it. And then now it's going through Jacob. You're outside of that line. You know what I mean? The only way to yep. get back in that line would to be basically marry someone that would be really, really close relative. Very, very, very close. Like too close to for comfort. Um, <laughs> I think you're already out of line anyways, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Peace. Like, you, you out, Esau. Who could he possibly marry? Now that I think about it, who could he possibly marry? I mean, he'd have to marry like one of Jacob's kids. That's yeah. the only thing that I could see. Right. Getting him back yeah. in the line. Yeah, he's out. Peace. Yeah, he's he's out of there. So, you know, we shouldn't give Esau didn't read his Bible. Is is what <laughs> I'm. This is what happens. You don't read your Bible, yeah, folks. Yeah, uh, you go end up marrying someone, even though it wasn't written yet, because <laughs> Moses hadn't hadn't wasn't born yet. But either way. I believe at this point, I believe there was an oral tradition. Um, obviously, there. I, look, this is another debate among scholars. Was there any form of writing this early? I don't know. Um, it's possible because we we have Egyptian 
um, records that go back really far. But the point is, either way, um, you know, the Jewish early Jewish cultures were very were, were oral cultures or oral tradition cultures. And so he would have um, he would have had enough knowledge to make a better informed decision than he did. But instead, he walked around in spiritual ignorance. Yeah, yeah, I was totally joking about the, uh, him reading his Bible, by the way. I mean, that was it's good. It was. I, I'm. I have to watch out with my sarcasm because I think you can go lost on uh, people you've never met before in your life. So, um, yeah, a bit of bit, a bit of sarcasm there. Jacob's dream, verse ten. Justin, let's hop in. Verse ten. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he happened upon a particular place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, The Lord is certainly in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Yeah, so right at the gate, uh, Jacob's going on this epic adventure. He's leaving his entire family, everything he's all he's ever known. And he's going on this trip that's that's not close by, people. This is a this is a distant trip from the maps that I'm seeing. And you can look this up in Google Maps, but I mean this is over gotta be over two hundred miles it looks like. Which might sound like, like a weekend trip for everyone in this day and age that has cars and planes and everything else like this. This is not a weekend trip to visit the family. As you'll see in the coming chapter, this is one of those trips where you're not sure if you're going to make it there or back for that matter. And so I like to think if you've ever seen like an adventure movie where someone goes on a trip, that's exactly what this was. And you know he's roughing it when he is pulling up a rock and using that as a pillow. Verse 11, second half, and he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head and lay down in that place. That is roughing it. So this is an epic, epic adventure. I agree. I've never used a rock as a pillow. <laughs> I've used I, no pillow. I, yeah, I've used no pillow, and I've just I've slept in the sand just on the ground, just with the grass and the dirt, but never, never decided to go the rock pillow route. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he had like a blanket that he put on top of it. It doesn't say that. So I'm assuming that. I just had his, I mean, yeah, I, I'm assuming he had clothing that he could throw over. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I think we've all been there, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Stranded outside. With no blanket, laying on the ground. <laughs> um, I, I I would rather just do like the arm pillow deal, you know. Yeah, rather that's a good call. Rock. That's a good call. Rock pillow. That is rough. Ah, oh, give me a creak in my neck just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good stretching time for everyone's necks. Yeah. Um. There's a lot to say about this, uh, what the Lord ultimately tells Jacob in this um, situation. Justin, did you have any comments about that? 
Yeah, so we see that God spoke to Jacob in a dream, and what God said was confirming uh, the covenant blessings uh, that God gave to Abraham. Also, in the dream, um, based on what I read, where some versions uh, say ladder, I think it could be better translated as stairway. Um, and I think one of the meanings that I've heard given this is that in this dream, it's showing that God was present with Jacob everywhere he went and that God is personally involved. Even though God is the God of heaven, he's personally involved in events that occur on earth. Um, so, and, and also there's this big element of grace here. So even though Jacob was on the run, right? So he deceived, he lied, and now he's on the run because of what that caused. Um, even in the midst of like a sinful escape, God shows up and shows us faithfulness, right? God uh, follows through with the covenant that he had made. And yeah. so... This is seen here. Uh, God promised to project, protect Jacob even while he went outside the land, right? Because he is about to exit the promised land before he enters back in the promised land. And so, um, you know, with this, God's promised presence uh, is a huge comfort. Uh, it was for Old Testament uh, believers, and it is for us New Testament believers as well. Um, so that's a so that's a uh, that's something that us as Christians also enjoy. Yeah. And so, you know, we enjoy, uh, we have the opportunity to enjoy the promised comfort of God's presence. And I think where it gets, can get complicated um, is, you know, what does God's protection mean? Um, because God does allow uh, Christians today to be martyred and God does allow bad events to happen. But um, what God promises though, is that, when we submit, when we live obediently to him, that our lives will not be wasted, but that our lives will, will glorify God and that uh, we will get rewarded for the works and the sacrifice that we make in this life. I, I agree with you. Um, verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so we have this idea that God is ultimately going to be with Jacob. And that same promise is ultimately made to Christians. If you look at Matthew 28, 20, 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then Hebrews 13, 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. So we have multiple uh, promises that God will be ultimately with us, which I think is um, extremely, extremely comforting. If you've ever been alone, you know, being alone is especially uh, in this world that we live in can be very, really, very, 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 really challenging. I think a lot of people struggle with something like that. So looking to these promises of God always being with us, something I think we can hold on to dearly. Verse 18, so Jacob got up early in the morning and took the stone that he had placed as a support for his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on its top. Then he named that place Bethel. But previously, the name of the city had been loose. Jacob also made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a memorial stone, will be God's house. And of everything that you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. So this whole time, he we, we find out that he's in this city, 
that he has named Bethel, which I think is really cool because he pretty much just changed the name. Yeah, you're you're, you're, you're a big shot or head honcho when you start naming areas. When you, when I tell you what, when you name a town, you come talk to me, okay? Right. And and Bethel, according to the biblical maps that I've studied, isn't that far from his original departing place. So this is the beginning of his journey. Justin, what other comments do you have on this section? Yeah, so um, I think you, you, you know. You Bethel, said something about the name of Bethel meaning something? Yes, yeah, so the, the word Bethel means house of God. Um, obviously, you've brought up how it's a very significant location. And so later times, the Old Testament, it's been brought up about um, that, that site and how it was special because of that dream and uh, God's promise to Jacob. And so um, <clears throat> I think it's great how Jacob's response to the dream was to worship God. Um, right. So he, he, he kind of set that up, set that rock up as a memorial and had an attitude of worship. And so here um, Jacob promised to tithe, uh, which acknowledged that everything belonged to God anyway, and that he trusted God and was grateful for his provision. And so um, the tithe had would not been set up yet. So later on in the, in the Mosaic law, we see that the tithe, tithe was instituted as a, uh, as a command. Um, here it wasn't. And so when it talks about this vow, and it, 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 I'm wondering if this is to be seen more of like a statement or uh, rather than like a bargain, right? Because some people, some people interpret this as like he's bargaining with God, right? About if you do this, I'll do this. And so I don't know. That um, was how I originally read it. To me, when I first read this, I was like, man, this sounds like a bargain. But then I reread the section above that. And if you reread that section above that, we'll just do that really quickly, starting in verse, th verse 13. Then behold, the Lamb was, the Lord was standing above it. This is the dream that Jacob has. The Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will be spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done that, done what I have promised you. To me, he's, he's recognizing that God's made a promise to him, a very specific promise that God is going to bring him back to this place and give it to his descendants. And so all Jacob is saying here is, Hey, if you bring me back here, you're going to be my God, you know? And the reality is if Jacob dies before this happens, then, you know, that's not going to happen, right? The promise God ultimately makes him is not going to happen. So to me, this doesn't seem so much as like a conditional, a conditional statement. It just, he's just stating the facts. Hey, if I'm able to come back here, if I'm physically able to come back here, then I'm going to make you my, you know, I'm going to worship you, make you, make you my God, etc. So I, I originally saw this as like a negative thing. And I read it again. It, to me, it doesn't seem so much like a negative thing, more just as like, hey, if everything you, I just found out in that dream is true, if all that's true, absolutely, you know, come back here and do as you say, and you'll be my God. So. Yeah, I, I read it similarly. Yeah, I think it's just affirming. Um. Yeah, about God's promises and His promises, and how what the fulfillment of those promises mean. What's also interesting is, and of everything that you give me, I assuredly give a tenth to you. Maybe you have a good indication of what does giving something to God mean at this time, right? Nowadays, you know, giving a tenth means specifically. You know, in the Old Testament, giving it, you know, to the priest at the time, the Levites, I think, specifically. Yeah, so the Old Testament, real quick, I want to hop in. So with the Mosaic Law, um, you gave a tithe, 
twice a year and every third year, which was a tenth. The word tithe means tenth. So you give a twi tithe twice a year. Every third year, you gave uh, a, tithe, a third tithe for the year. And the tithe actually went to, um, it did go to the priests, but it, it, the, the ancient Israel or the, um, you know, as we read about in the, in the Old Testament, it wasn't so much, it wasn't broken up like a separation of church and state. So like the, the um, they had all the different, they had, you had the religious system, the, 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 the judicial, and you had the, these different forms of, you had the, the forms of government broken up, but it went toward like your tithe went into kind of contributing to your taxes. So it wasn't like, so like a lot of times the church wants to tries to equate it uh, similarly today and it's not because we pay our taxes to the government and then there's this idea um you know uh, christians today like to use the word tithe i think it's going to be a different episode um tithe is a is a mosaic law term i i think that christians should definitely be giving i mean paul addresses this and um about giving to your church giving to those who spiritually nourish you and and just being a part of the body of christ and, and investing in um what god's given us and so but there is a difference here. And so the, the Old Testament Israel, uh, your tithe was part of your taxes and, and part and that that did go to the to the priest and, and the religious system as well. Yeah. Um, what do you think this means? Like, what do you think Jacob means, though, in this particular case? Do you think how, how do you give a tenth? of what you have to God at this moment in time. Do we have any indication of that? Yeah. So, so my thought on this is that Jacob, this was just Jacob's way of acknowledging that everything belongs to God. Um, you know, as other verses in scripture say, uh, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So the Lord doesn't need our money. He doesn't need any of this stuff. He's, he's the God of everything. But the idea is that you give back to God um, kind of like, like Jesus talks about, uh, the parable in the New Testament where he talked about the, the rich farmer. It's kind of like wherever you put your money there, your heart will also be. And so I see it as a way of him saying, hey, look, all that you've blessed me with, I know that you've blessed me with it. I know that you have the power to continue blessing me with it. And it's not about that I want to become distracted with a blessing, but it's about acknowledging in the midst of my blessing, in the midst of how you um, provide me success, I want to give that back to you to show that to is my way of acknowledging um, that all of it comes from you and, and my gratefulness for your provision. Yeah. Two more things to highlight. One is I want to reiterate. I think Jacob truly was concerned about this journey he was on. I think he recognizes this is a perilous journey. Basically he's not sure if he's, coming back. I mean, he, he, he sounds a little bit concerned and unsure of himself as he moves through this land of, of people that may or may not kill him on the way. I mean, Abraham and Isaac were lying about their wives, telling people that their wives were actually their sisters in order to not be killed. I mean, that's gotta be a pretty tough, tough, land to be in if if you're having if you're if you're doing stuff like that and you're concerned enough and i would also add one more thing while i when i read it a second time i i don't get the impression jacob you know is make, making a conditional statement other scholars do believe he's making a, a conditional statement so um not agreeing to worship God until after these things have actually taken place. So that could be, that could also be seen as a sign of weak faith. I'll say this. I'm, I'm not sold on either one fully sold on either one, but to me, it seems like both options are viable. And if he is making this a conditional statement, if this is a conditional statement, I think the application would be, you know, I think a lot of people do that today, right? I think a lot of people will put God into some type of conditional statement as well. Hey, God, I'll do this if you first do this for me, which is, 
I think the poor, a poor way to go, you know, um, if anyone's ever been ill, injured or sick, Hey God, if you heal me, I will then do this. Well, the question is why not you just start doing this right now? You know what I mean? Like why wait? Just like start today. How many empty promises have I made ultimately to God? If God did this and I'll, I'll do this, or I'll never do this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Probably more than I'd like to admit, you know, they're not, they're not all flooding to my brain, but I know I've said and thought dumb stuff like that. And the Bible specifically says, don't make, <laughs> don't make promises you don't intend to keep. Whatever you do, <laughs> don't do that. So I would be cautious of that. Do not do that. Don't put God in conditions. Not a good idea. Whatever it is you're conditioning to do, just go do it. Just go do it right now. Don't wait. Do it in some form that you can do it, right? Anyways, this is the end of the chapter. Justin, do you have any, uh, do you have a nice little bow you want to put on the end of this? I do. One of the things I do like is Jacob's worshipful response. Um, when he better understands like who God is. And I think that's the same for us is that uh, we need to have an attitude of worship towards God. Um, and I've struggled with this in my life at times. We can feel ungrateful and just are waiting for God to grant our latest prayer request to, to piggyback off what you just said, right? And so one of the things I noticed about my prayer life is that um, it used to look different than it does now. So one of the things for me, um, when I went off to college, unfortunately, I did one of those moves where didn't really call my parents. I was just wanting to have fun at college, but I called them when I needed money, right? Like, oh, hey, my account's overdrafted. I need, can you send money? And it's so, like, I feel like that's how my prayer life historically has been with God. Like, hey, God, I'm all good. Oh, hey, God, I need something. Can you, you know? And so, like, I feel like that as I matured and my prayer life matured, you, I had an attitude of, of, of worship and, and gratefulness toward God. And then my prayer life became richer or better. Um, and that the personal prayer request or petition part became just, you know, a fraction of it instead of the, the entireness, the, the entirety of my, of my prayer yeah. life with God. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, like I, I told you, Henry, a couple months ago, one of the things I did is that I actually made a list in my phone of um, like a, a thankfulness list. And so like all the things that God's done for me, um, it's not all the things, obviously, that'd be a very long list, but it's these, it's these main things that I just continue to feel the blessing of in my life today that I know are just super relevant. Um, and so that has helped me have an attitude of, of worship and, and gratefulness to God. And the other thing I want to address now that we addressed what Jacob did in this chapter is I want to address Esau. So Esau had a total lack of spiritual understanding. And oftentimes, I mean, I, 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 look, I look at the world and people all around me, and they all have. So many people have a lack of spiritual understanding. And I remember that um, my last semester, my last class of, of seminary, uh, I was fortunate to take one of my professors, um, and it was actually the uh, poetic literature class, though the wisdom literature class, and uh, one day my this professor he just did this awesome job of uh, just had this awesome lecture. And was like, guys, do you ever notice how there are those people that live their lives and, and they really don't understand why their lives are so painful, are so broken, are so, and they keep dealing with these bad situations? Do y'all know people like that? Everybody raised their hand. And he's like, and it's crazy because you can see 10 miles ahead. Hey, if you make this decision, this will happen. And you can see all the pain and heartache they could have avoided, but they can't see it. They just go barreling through life, making terrible decisions. And so if you're listening to this video today, and maybe you're one of those people that you have at least the insight to recognize it, uh, one of my best friends has said before, that the Bible is the manual for life. And that by reading that, you understand how to live that life. Um, do you know who that guy was, Henry? Mm -mm. <laughs> Must have been Paul or something. I don't know how you're best friends with that guy. Yeah. No. no so, but, but the idea is that here's the thing. 
if you have matured in your faith to the point where this is you, that is such a blessing. It's such a blessing to have gained that biblical discernment, to not be in a point in your life where you're continually continually going from one broken situation to another. But let's say you're younger in your faith and, and you're less mature. You can get there too. But the way to get there is by studying the Bible. It's through growing biblical understanding uh, by learning the scriptures better uh, and by learning to make better decisions uh, based on godly discernment. And so either way, I encourage you to continue studying, continue reading um, so that you can avoid the pitfalls uh, like situations that we saw of Esau today. I think there's a verse in the Bible that I like that echoes this idea of not being ignorant. Don't, to, don't be ignorant. To biblical history like Esau was. And that verse is Joshua 1, 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Definitely, that's a good one uh, to think about because the truth of that is um, understanding that truth is only to your benefit. So thank you for that, um, Justin. And I want to thank everyone for coming on out to two bros today and we really hope you have a wonderful and blessed rest of your week dig into your bible and let's keep learning together why don't you beat us to chapter 29 that's right read it ahead of time yeah all right thank everybody for coming talk to you later bye